0: month we've been going over the idea of others and having an others, fir- uh, an others first, others focused uh, mentality uh, and really truly living out our life that way with having others first, others first. And so uh, I just want to dive right in uh, to the message today and just go straight into the scriptures that we're going to kind of be uh, building on today. And so uh, the first scripture is from First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 11. And that the first scripture says, therefore, and hold on one second, as we're saying it, let's see, therefore, it says, encourage one another, and everybody say that word in yellow, and what? Build one another up, right? Look at how talented I am, everyone. Okay, all right. Go to that next scripture, Ephesians chapter 4, 29. It says, let no corrupting talk, Come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those here. Let's go to the next scripture. What's the next scripture say? So then let us pursue what makes for peace and what's the and for mutual say that word. Up building, up building. I'm so, so talented with my building. You guys need any housework? You know, you need a little add-on? Just come talk with me. All right, next scripture. Romans 14, 19. Oh, sorry. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, right? A song that we sing. A lesson, okay? Right? What's the next one say? A revelation, a vision that God's given them, a tongue, a special message, an interpretation. And what is it all for? Let all things be done for building up. And it didn't even fall. Come on, there we go. The message today that we're going to look at in week four of others, we're going to look at building others. Can anybody say building others? And as I was looking at that, as a good preacher, you know, I had to go and look and see what the Greek word for building was. Okay? And I'm going to give you a little hint. It means building. Okay? It means building. And in English, when we say build others up, it's not a special word we use. We're literally just painting a word picture of we are building others up. With our words, you ever heard the word edify before, right? It comes from, you've ever heard the word for building an edifice, right? Or in Spanish from Latin, right? Edificio. It's a building. You edify something, you build it. When you speak the words that we use, word by word, brick by brick, we are building others up. It's kind of crooked, but it's up, okay? We have built others up word by word and brick by brick. And as I was thinking about that, because I have three kids, everybody knows if you got kids, you think about building, you think about Legos, right? Here we go. Any of you kids, anybody have kids that build Legos? Or you, maybe just some of you 50 year olds, you build Legos in your spare time, you'll know, right? But my kids love Legos. Okay. You know, my, my boys are getting a little bit older, but especially my middle, um, our, our middle child, Isaac, uh, man, he is a Lego mastermind. Okay. And the, the things that he builds and it's not just the things that he builds in the box. That's me. Okay. Like I'm like, a, I like to follow the instructions. You can ask my wife. Okay. Like anything at all. Give me the instructions. We go down to the T down to the piece. He can do that too. Don't get me wrong. But the thing that just blows my mind that my son Isaac does is he takes all the garbage pieces. You know what I'm talking about? Like, have you ever helped your kid with the Legos? Like, you build the thing, and then at the end in the box, there's like 20 just little tiny garbage pieces that don't go anywhere. You know what I'm talking about? He takes those garbage pieces, and he'll sit there for minutes. He'll sit there for hours, and he'll be so focused. And I have no idea what he's doing. And specifically, one of the times he had, like, literally all these little one-by-one Tiny pieces don't connect to nothing. And he was there for like hours. And he comes up to me, he's like, Dad, I built a ping pong paddle. And it looked exactly like a ping pong paddle. And, and then we cleared off the kitchen table and we played ping pong with it. It worked like a ping pong paddle. It was absolutely incredible. And I was just sitting there for minutes, for hours. I'm like, what is he doing? And as I was thinking about that, I was like, what if we were as intentional about building others up as my son Isaac is, about building a Lego ping pong paddle? Why aren't we as intentional about building the people that are in our life the way that an eight-year-old can be about building his special Lego project? That's that's the message today. Be like Isaac. Let's pray. Let's go home, okay? All right? But what if we were as intentional about building the other people in our lives with the words that come out of our mouth, the way that kids could be? It shows us that we were created to build We were created to build. It's in every single one of us. We have the ability to build. Let's be intentional about it. And so today I want to look at three kind of um, going along with the building theme. Three big points on what it looks like to build others, why we build others, what is the heart of building others. And so we're going to look at the foundation of building others, the framing of building others, and then the finishing touches of building others. And all you builders out there are going to be like, there's a lot that goes on between the frame and the finishing touches. I get it, okay? But we'll explain why we made that leap in a second. But the foundation. The foundation of building others, right? Where does it come from? you got to have the foundation set or you're not really truly going to be able to build others up the way that you were meant to. The way that we all know that we can and that we should. And I believe it has to come from an others first mentality. The foundation, honestly, I'm going to say everything I'm going to say about the foundation, but the best thing you can do about having a found, the foundation for building others is go back and listen to Pastor Ben's message from last week on loving others. It was so absolutely incredible, and it illustrates to us the beauty and the importance of loving others and putting others first. And so for that first point, I just want to say it's not about me. That's the That's got to be the, the first part of the foundation, okay? It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about me. My life cannot be about building myself up. It's got to be about building others. Because I I don't know if you know this, but the way the universe works, the way that God created the universe, is you cannot build yourself. You can't. It's in the Bible. Jesus says whoever exalts themselves, right... Builds themselves up will be humbled. I'm not going to kick it. (laughs) I spent so long on that. Okay, but whoever builds themselves up will be brought low, is what the Bible says. But whoever humbles themselves will be brought up. Kind of going along what we've been talking about this whole month. You've got to build others. You were created to build others. If you try to build yourself, you can't do it. You're going to be brought low. It's not about me. If we're going to build others, if we're going to build others, we can't do it with our own good, our own safety, our own reputation in mind. Kind of going along, dovetailing what Pastor Ben said. And the reason that we're hammering it again this week, while we're hammering it home week after week this month of October, comes from the next scripture, kind of the main scripture that we're going to be looking at today. And it illustrates to us how easy it is To forget that truth that it's not about us. How hard it is in our human hearts to live with the truth that it's not about me. It's not about my safety. It's not about my reputation. But it's about building others. And if you don't believe me that it's hard to live that truth out. Let's look at the scripture from Acts chapter 9 verse 26 and 27. And what this story is to set it up is this is the story of Saul who becomes Paul. And if you know the message about Saul of Paul, if you, if you don't know, if you're maybe new to church, Saul was a Jew that was there after Jesus had come to earth, lived the perfect life. He died on the cross for all of our sins to forgive us and give us new life. And he rose again from the grave. And Saul comes onto the scene afterwards when the church is trying to spread the message of the good news of Jesus. And how Jesus loves us, how Jesus laid down his life for us, how Jesus gives us new life. And Saul is sitting there on the sidelines looking at the church, persecuting, arresting them, approving of the ones who murder the church. And when Saul is on his way to Damascus to have more Christians murdered, to investigate more, Jesus appears to him supernaturally and tells him, Saul, you're not persecuting the church, you're persecuting me. The God who created him appeared to him and said, Saul, you're not persecuting the church, you're persecuting me. And Saul in an instant goes from persecuting Christians, murdering Christians to making more Christians. And it's a beautiful, beautiful picture of what God wants to do in every single one of our lives. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, God has a purpose for you and he wants to build you up. He wants to build you up. But look at what this story is. And not. I'm sure that most wise Christians have read this story and have seen this, but I had never seen this story like this until this week. Saul has Jesus appear to him. Saul's life turns around. Saul was murdering Christians and then he says, no, now I'm going to tell everyone the good news of Jesus. I realized I was wrong. I realized I was murdering people when I should have been bringing them to the truth of who Jesus is. And this is what happens. Saul starts preaching to people and then they say, look, let's bring Saul to Jerusalem and let's show him to the leaders of the church, to the disciples, to the ones that Jesus had told the parable of the good Samaritan to, who had walked with Jesus for years, who had heard his message. They bring Saul to to Jesus' disciples in Jerusalem and look at what happens. When Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. He tried to step into his purpose of all that God had for him. He he was trying to step out of the sin that he was in. And he was trying to step into his purpose. And when he tried to join the disciples, the ones who had heard him preach on the Good Samaritan, it says they were all afraid of him. The disciples who had heard Jesus talk about the Good Samaritan, who had heard that it's not about them, who had heard that it's not about their reputation and their safety. They were all afraid of Saul, and they didn't believe that he was really a disciple. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Paul planted churches all over Asia Minor. Paul is one of the main reasons why the gospel started being taken, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles, to everyone all over the world. God had such an amazing plan and purpose for Paul's life. But right here at the beginning, the people who were closest to Jesus almost snuffed him out. Isn't that amazing to think about? But Barnabas took him. I love this. There's this guy named Barnabas who steps in. Took him and brought him to the apostles. And that word took it's not just like, he's like, hey, come on, Saul, let's go back in there. The word is he seized him. He grabbed him by the coat. He looks at the disciples and he sees that they should know that it's time to build this man. It's time to build him up right now. He needs to be built up. God's using him. And he seizes Paul and he basically rubs the disciples face in Paul like you do to a dog who's done its business on the carpet, right? You should know better. That's what Barnabas is saying. He seizes Paul and he puts him back in front of the disciples. And then he tells them, he uses his mouth, he uses his words, word by word, brick by brick. And he tells them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, that the Lord had spoken to him. How in Damascus, Saul had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas says, it's not about me and my safety. I'm not going to be afraid right now because I can step out and I can build this man up right now. We were created to build others up. I love that. I love that. Because look, here at the start, everything God had planned for him... If not for Barnabas taking him up and saying, look, 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 look. No, 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 no. you're scared. You're scared. I know you're scared of him. I know, you're, I know you're worried about what could happen. But we've got to take a chance on this man. We have got to build him up. You've got to see what God has planned for him. I see him the way God sees him. You're seeing him as a murderer, but I'm seeing him as somebody who is preaching the gospel to the world. He saw him the way that God saw him. And I love that. That's the first thing that we've got to realize. It's not about me. It's not about my safety. It's not about my reputation. It's not about me. The disciples had forgotten and they had to be reminded of what Jesus had told them. And I believe every single one of us every day needs to be reminded of the truth that it's not about me. It's not about me. And the second thing, if we're looking at the foundation, okay, the foundation that all this is built on, it's not about us. And the second thing is we have to realize that our words have power. It's not about me, and my words have power. Those are two seeming contradictory things, right? It's not about me, but my words have power. But they go together because it means that our words are not to build ourselves up. Our words have power to build others. Our words have power to build others. Proverbs 18, 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. Genesis 1 4. At the very beginning, God shows us the beauty and the power of this. We were all created in the image of God, and that God is the God who creates the universe through his voice. God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God said, Let there be birds, and there were birds. God said, Let there be water, and there was water. God said it, God said it, God said it. God said it. He created the universe through his voice. In the book of Psalms, it says that he breathed stars out of his mouth. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that we worship. And he created us with words of power. Death and life are in the power of yours and my tongue. God created the universe through his words. And my question to all of us today is if we're building others, is what world are we creating for the people in our life through the words that we speak? What world are we creating through the words that we speak to our family, to our kids, to our spouse, to our coworkers? What world are we creating? Because our words have power. Ephesians 4.29, from the very beginning, right? It said, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but that which is useful for upbuilding. That corrupting, that word that he's saying, some translations just says it's let no bad talk come out of your mouth. But the word means rotten. Let no rotten words come out of your mouth. Let no words come out that destroy. Let no words come out that destroy and break down, but let words come out that build up. Our words have power. It's not about them and our words have power. That's a fantastic foundation to build on. It's not about us and our words have power. So let's look at the framing, right? So that's the foundation. Anybody who's ever built a house before, right? Foundation is the most important part of build everything else that happens. But nobody just goes out and buys a foundation. It's just concrete, okay? You got to build on it. So how do we build on it? What does it look like? Have you ever had the framing go up at your house before? That's when it starts to look like a house, right? It starts to look like this. What is what is building others look like? Let's look at these three things. The first one is we've got to encourage others. Our words have power. It's not about us. So if we're going to build others, the first thing we've got to do is we've got to encourage others. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, that was the very first scripture that we said. It says, encourage one another and build one another up. Use your words to build others up. The first example, we look at Deuteronomy chapter 3. God spoke to Moses when Moses was a stuttering shepherd who had murdered people, okay? And he said, I'm going to use you to speak to the most powerful kingdom on the face of the earth to deliver my people. How many of y'all know that that's pretty encouraging if the God who created you, the God of the universe, looks at you and says, I know you stutter. I know that you smell like sheep. I know that you murdered somebody, but I'm going to use you to deliver my people from the most powerful kingdom on the face of the earth. And look at what it says. Once God encouraged Moses, then God says to Moses, but look, commission Joshua and encourage him. Strengthen him. Encourage Joshua. Strengthen him. Because I've got a purpose for him. I've got a purpose for Joshua. And if he's going to accomplish it, you've got to go out there and you've got to encourage him. You've got to build him up so that he can reach the purpose that I have for him. And the cool thing about this is we know that Moses did such a good job because Joshua, at the beginning of his mission, the words that he says to the people are, be strong and courageous. The word encourage means to put courage in somebody. And Joshua had so much courage in him, it was overflowing that he was going to put courage in in the people of Israel. At the beginning of his mission, he says, be strong and courageous. And at the very end of Joshua's life, at the end of Joshua, one of the very last messages that he gives to the, the people of Israel, he says it again, be strong and courageous. And follow the book of the law. Look, at the beginning of Joshua's mission, at the end of his life, Moses put so much courage in him. God had put so much courage in him through Moses that Joshua was just overflowing and realized how important it was to have courage, to be encouraged. Our words, if we're going to build others up, we've got to be strong and we've got to be courageous. We've got to build others up with our encouraging. Hebrews 10, 24 says this. Let us consider how we may spur one another on. We got to encourage each other toward love and good deeds. Don't give up meeting together. Look, it's not about it's not about you, it's not about your comfort. We got to get together so that we can spur one another on, encourage one another. And I love it. Here go to the next the next page of that. Encourage one another. And look at what he says, "In all the more as you see the day approaching when Jesus returns, now, I, Pastor Ben's done a great message on this. We don't know what day it will be when the world ends, but we all know that our end is coming at some point, <laughs> okay? And so the writer of Hebrews answers this question here. How much am I supposed to encourage the people around me? More than you did yesterday. It's supposed to be more and more and more and more and more. If you don't see encouragement as something important, let it let, let's just see it as more important today than we did yesterday. And let's keep that trend going. We got to encourage people. We got to see the importance of encouragement if we're going to build others up from the from where they are to where God wants them to be. Whether that's your kids, whether that's your spouse, whether that's your community, whether it's your coworkers. We've got to see people where they're at and see where God has them and build them up through encouragement. In Romans chapter 15, Paul says this, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. God is the God who gives you endurance. God is the God who encourages you. And let's have the same attitude towards people around us. Let's spur them on to keep going. Let's spur them on in encouragement. Let's keep on, keep on, keep on have that same attitude Of Christ Jesus. And I believe that maybe as Paul was writing that, he remembered Barnabas. Because he remembered all the disciples who should have had the same mind as Jesus, but didn't. And in that moment, somebody stepped in who had the same attitude as Jesus. Somebody stepped into his life when he was right on the edge of his purpose, and he was right on the edge of somebody keeping him out of what God had planned for him, and somebody stepped in with the same attitude of mind as Christ Jesus. His name was Barnabas. And the name Barnabas means the son of encouragement. He was created to encourage. And I'm going to tell you something. Whether your name is Barnabas or not, you were created to encourage the people around you. We look at it. What it says at Acts 9, 26, 27, the thing that we had highlighted there, it says that they were not believing that he was really a disciple. That's it. That's what kept them back. They were afraid of him and they didn't believe That he was really a disciple. They thought he was still a murderer. But Barnabas saw him the way God saw him. And so the heart of encouragement this morning, if we're going to really truly encourage, the heart of encouragement is simply seeing others how God sees them. If you're not encouraging somebody, it's not their fault. I'm just going to walk back from that one for a second. And so the second thing is honor others. That's the second two by four in our framing here, okay? Encourage others and honor others. And they may seem like synonyms. They may seem like the exact same thing. But encouraging somebody is spurring them on towards the purpose that God has for them, okay? It's it's really truly telling them, yes, you can do this. Yes, that's who you really are. Yes, you can do this. But honoring is more about status honoring is more about social position okay honoring is honoring is all about the relative position of that person towards your person okay and honoring is lifting someone else up and lowering yourself to make sure that they are higher than you in that situation like we talked about a couple weeks ago with being a servant the first among you has to be the least If you really, truly want to be great, you're not going to honor yourself and lower others. If you want to be great, you've got to honor others and lower yourself. And Paul says it in Romans 13, 7. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. And honor to whom honor is owed. Pay to people honor to whom honor is owed. Defer to others. That word uh, honor has kind of a double meaning, okay? And the first one is to defer and to reverence, okay? To defer, meaning you step down, and reverence as you lift them up. There's people who are owed honor in our lives, and we are not paying that debt of honor. And some of us right now, when I say, okay, there's people who owed honor, I get that, okay. And there's a lot of people who don't deserve it. And luckily for all of us, the Bible is very clear. It actually gives us, it clarifies who is deserving of honor. We can look at uh, 1 Peter 2.17, and it tells us here, honor everyone. So if we had questions about it, it's pretty clear here. But what about the people that hate me? What about the people who are holding me back from a promotion? What about the people that don't deserve it? Jesus says, love your enemies. And in Jesus' day, that wasn't the person who cut you off in the Walmart parking lot. When he says, love your enemies, he's talking about the ones who literally want you murdered. Who want you tortured. And he says, you know what you owe them? You owe them love. Everyone is owed honor. Honor everyone. And the Bible talks about it even more. He says, not only is everyone owed honor, but Paul says it this way in Romans twelve ten. He says, love one another with brotherly affection and compete with each other on who can show the most honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. Our competition as Christians can be to see who can get to the bottom I'm saying that in America in 2022 right now, okay? Our competition as Christians can be to see who can be the lowest, who can exalt everyone else the highest in their life. Let's step back for a second there. So encourage others, honor others. And the last one is instruct others. And I'm going to tell you something. If you don't do the first two, this one's not going to land the way you think it's going to land. But if you don't do this one, the other two are kind of pointless. And why do I say that? Because we don't just honor and encourage people. And I'm not saying... I got to step back. I'm not saying this as our honoring and our encouraging and our loving and all that is it's just a trick, right? Like we honor them and then we got like the gospel in our back pocket, right? We're going to surprise them with the gospel there, right? Like, oh, we love you. We're so kind to you and Jesus, right? So many times, like, I feel like that's kind of the stigma or that's like, that's the reason why we're so loath to maybe do outreaches and stuff like that. But the truth is the most important thing when it comes to building others. If we don't point people to the truth of who Jesus is and the fact that sin is real and the fact that God has made a way for us to be forgiven and be with Him for all eternity and step into our purpose in life. If we don't point people to that truth, we're just encouraging them and honoring them straight into hell. And so we need to have the balance of the first two with the last one. I believe the Bible would call that grace and truth. Jesus says in John 8, 32, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's not the honoring that will set you free. It's not the encouraging that will set you free. It's the truth that will set you free. And all the builders know you can't leave one of the two by fours out. You've got to have all of them in the frame. And the beauty of this is that balance of grace and truth. And Jesus, we see it in John 1, 14. It says, the word became flesh. Jesus, who was God, became flesh, lived among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. And he was full of grace and truth. He was full of love and kindness that kids wanted to come up and hug on him. He was full of love and fun and encouragement and honor. He was full of all of that, but he was also full of truth that when he loved and he stood and he protected the woman who was caught in adultery, he stood to where she was loved and protected and encouraged and honored. And then when all her accusers left, he said, go and sin no more. He was full of grace and he was full of truth. And you've heard it said before, truth without grace is mean, but grace without truth is meaningless. We've got to be full of both if we want to build others up in our life. You see, when we go back to the story of Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas didn't come and accept Saul as a murderer. That's not the power of the message. Paul didn't come... Up to the disciples and be like, "Hey, you guys are throwing him out, but that's okay. Look, but look, look, it's okay. He's he's still a murderer, but that's look, that's all right. Look, Paul, you don't have to change anything. Who says murder is wrong? Right?" He comes up and he says, no, 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 no. He deserves to be honored. He deserves to be encouraged because the truth has come into his heart. And he is a vessel for the truth. And God has a purpose for him. And God has a plan for him. And we need to build him up right now. He was full of encouragement. He was full of honor. He was full of instruction. Because even after that, it says that Barnabas took Saul under his wing. And took him to more meetings. It took him to more outreaches. It took him to more and more. And Saul sat under his teaching. And more and more and more, he was encouraged. He was honored. He was instructed. He was built up over and over and over again to where he became the Paul that we all know. Because someone stepped in to build him up. Someone stepped in to build him up. So we talked about... The foundation. We talked about the the framing, right? Where it starts to look like that. But I'm going to tell you what: if we don't get to everything else, the stuff that finishes up the house, it's just empty. You're seeing a house when it's just the framing, right? It's got the roof. It's you can get under it, right? It's it's better than just concrete, but it's just empty. And that goes kind of dovetails with this idea of the truth of what we're talking about. And that's the complete fullness of the truth of how we build others. Because the truth is this, is if we're not building people up to Jesus, it's just that empty house that somebody's abandoned after the frame. If we're not really truly pointing them to who Jesus is and what he's done, if we're not pointing them to the ultimate source of love in the world... If we're not pointing them to the ultimate source of, of peace and wisdom and truth and hope and redemption, then can we say that we've really built them up? Can we say that we've really loved them if we're not pointing them to the ultimate source of everything that they need in life? And that is only found in Jesus. We've got to build others up to Jesus. We've got to build others up to Jesus. There's, uh, I've told this story before, I believe. There's this famous atheist named Pin Gillette. He's the guy, Penn and Teller. They do all the magic tricks if you guys have heard of them or seen them before. But he made this video uh, video diary thing on uh, the internet I don't know, a long time ago, but it really stuck with me because it was so powerful. It was so impactful. And what happened to Pin was after one of his magic shows or something like that, a man walked up to Pin and he made this gesture to Penn. you could see in the video diary he's like shaken okay he's normally like dressed up nice in a suit and his hair done nice and everything and he's got this long hair so in the video it's just like all hanging everywhere and he he just he looks like he's shaken up and the thing that has shaken him up is he says that there's a a nice man he keeps saying it over and over there's this nice man and he was very very nice you could just tell he was nice okay and he says, he came up to me and he was genuine and he encouraged me. He complimented the show and it wasn't anything fake. It was genuine and it was real. And he told me how great the show was and how much he enjoyed it. And then he handed me a Bible. And in that Bible, he had written just this small, polite, nice note with his phone number in there. And, and he said, if I ever wanted to talk, that he was available. And that was the end of our interaction, but it affected me. And there's this famous atheist. He didn't change his mind, but it impacted him. It changed him so much so that he went on the Internet and shared this whole video. And one of the things that he said in the video is he talked about how it impacted him that this man shared this Bible with him, tried to point him to Jesus, honored him, encouraged him, and then pointed him to Jesus. And what he said, this famous atheist who really doesn't believe anything about the Bible— He says, how much? He says, I don't have any respect for somebody who believes in heaven and hell and doesn't tell people about it. I didn't say it. The atheist said it, so don't be mad at me. But he said, I have no respect for people who say they believe in heaven and hell. That that somebody has an, an entire eternity in hell to spend and they won't tell them how to get out of it. That a bus is coming right at them and they won't dive and push them out of the way. And then the next thing he said was even, if that didn't offend you, the next thing he said was even more offensive. And he said, how much do you have to hate someone to not tell them how to get out of hell? And that's the beauty of what it means to build others and to encourage them. And to honor them and to point them to the truth of who Jesus is because we've got to build others to Jesus because heaven is real, hell is real, sin is real. It holds us back from the potential and the purpose that God has for every second of the rest of our lives here on earth and for all eternity. And God has entrusted you and I with that truth. God has entrusted you and I with the courage to do it. He is the God who gives encouragement. He's the God who gives endurance. He is the God who wants us to build others and the way that he does it. The finishing touch, the thing that gives us the power to do it, the thing that empowers us through the Holy Spirit, the finishing touch is here is we realize how Jesus built us up. How did Jesus build us up? Let's go to the scripture. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Jesus didn't spend any money on you and I. Jesus spent his life on you and I. He spent his blood on you. He spent his blood on me. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, who was perfect to be the offering for our sin. God made Christ, who had never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. God built us up spiritually. God built us up The Bible says, Jesus said in Matthew 5, he says, it's the poor in spirit, the people who are bankrupt spiritually, who have nowhere to go, who have no power, who can't do anything on their own. They've got to realize they're bankrupt and can't do anything. And they've got to realize that I did it all on the cross. I didn't do anything. You didn't do anything. But Jesus spent his entire life for you and for me to build us up. And how did he build us up? What was the bricks that he built us up with? Jesus said it at the last supper when he was giving the bread. What did he say? He took the bread. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. And what did he do with the bread? What happened to his body on the cross? He was broken. Jesus showed us that the way to build others is to forget about yourself. And he didn't just say, go do it. He did it more than we could ever do it. He didn't just say, hey, this is how you're supposed to live. He lived it to the point of his blood being poured out for you and for me. It's the forgiveness of Him building us up. It's the forgiveness. It's the new life. It's the salvation. It's everything He did on the cross that gives us the power that really truly points us to what it is to build others up the way that we're supposed to build them up. And look at what God says. His body was broken for you and for me and for what? 1 Peter 2.5 So that like living stones we could be built into the church. We could be built into the spiritual house to be a priesthood that goes between the people and points them to Jesus. That brings the people's needs, sees their hurting, sees their shortcomings and brings it towards God and brings God to them. That's what it means to build others up is to point them to Jesus and his body broken on the cross. How are we built up? Because he was broken. How are we forgiven? Because he was punished. How are we healed? Because he was broken. down. And the beauty of this is that Paul is looking at all of us 2,000 years later. And he's saying, look at what Barnabas did in my life. There's nothing special about Barnabas. There's nothing special about Barnabas. There's nothing special about Barnabas. What happened is Barnabas saw saw the murderer through the eyes of God. He saw Saul through the eyes of Christ. He saw Saul through the lens of the cross that Jesus bled for him, that Jesus was broken for him, that Jesus had died for him. And he said, it doesn't matter if I'm broken. It doesn't matter if I'm hurt. If the God who created the universe saw Saul and said, I will be broken for him, then I can be broken too. And I'm going to tell you what, it doesn't take a Ph.D., It doesn't take a big bank account. It doesn't take anything for any of us to do the exact same thing in the life of somebody around us. Using our words, pointing them to the truth that Jesus loved them and was broken for them. Let's bow our heads this morning. Some of you guys in here this morning, maybe you came in and you're new to church. You're new to this idea that God wants to forgive you, that God wants a relationship with you. You never heard something like that before. You, When we're talking about sin and conviction and all that, you, you feel it. And I know that because I was in your exact same spot 20 years ago. I was there. And I felt the conviction of sin. I felt that I was doing wrong. And I felt that God wanted more from my life. And He had come and He had died on the cross and bled to forgive me. And you can accept That. Today, there's, there's no, there's no stigma to it. There's no, we're not going to make you come down and stand in front of everybody and everyone point at you or anything. This is between you and God right now. And if you want to, the Bible says, if you want to be made new and you want to accept the gift of his forgiveness, it's right now, you and God, it's just, again, our words have power of saying, God, I accept it. God, I'm a sinner. I accept your forgiveness. I believe in you. I take your new life. If that, if you want to do that this morning, I ask everybody to just keep your heads back and your eyes closed. If you want to do that this morning, I just ask you raise your hand right where you're at. Nobody's looking around. We just want to pray with you, everybody in the room right now. Not pointing you out or anything. If that's you and you want to pray that prayer, I just ask you raise your hand this morning. Amen, amen. Thank you for those hands. Everybody in the room, let's pray this prayer out loud. Help the ones who raise their hands. Say this prayer out loud. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for being broken for me. I know that I'm a sinner. I know I've made mistakes, but I thank you for forgiving me. I accept your forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose again. I confess you're the Lord of my life. I commit my life to you in Jesus' name. Can everybody say amen this morning? Put your hands together for those who prayed that prayer. If you prayed that prayer, we are so, so incredibly happy and proud for you. And we would love to speak with you this morning. Come find one of the pastors, anybody who spoke up here this morning. We'd love to point you on your next steps. But I want to pray for all of us as a church, too, as we go out this morning. God, we just thank you, God, that you were broken for us, God, so that we could be built up, so that we could in turn Build the others around us, God. Help us to use our words not to corrupt, not to break others down. But God, help us to use our words to build up the people in our lives, to encourage them, to strengthen them, to spur them on towards what you have for them. God, so that we could, God, we could lower ourselves and elevate them. And God, we could point them to the truth of your Son and your goodness and your purpose. We love you and we thank you, God, for all you've done for us and all you're gonna do. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Can everybody say amen this morning? Amen, amen. Give God a big clap offering this morning.